Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. We're back. All right, it's me, Dr. Fuck, and with me is... Oh, yeah, the Ayatollah Alcoholic, Ian Wadley. That's right, and this week, we ain't got no news. Uh, it's a uh-huh. it's a nice, healthy episode. It's a really, man, this, would you agree with me, Ian? This is one of our best episodes. Oh, yeah, and the, the fucking kiss news will blow your mind. And this time, we ain't kidding. There actually is kiss stuff in there. Oh, yeah, blow your fucking mind. Yeah, exactly. So you want to stay tuned, so... Since it's a real long uh, process, we're, let's get right into it. All right, now it's time to review the 1997 album by Cheap Trick called Cheap Trick. And uh, Ian, tell us who we have with us this week. Oh, I just popped the There we go. All right, Robert Lawson, I believe, right, Robert Lawson? Is that That's it. Oh, oh, I got it right the first time. Uh Robert, uh, not only a first-time guest, but he is a Cheap Trick author. Uh, Robert, what's the name of your book? The book is Still Competition, The Listener's Guide to Cheap Trick. Oh, I like it already. I like it already. Just the title got me hard. (laughs) And uh, it's nice to have somebody, you know, like, you know, obviously you have a vast knowledge of Cheap Trick if you wrote a book, unless it's a picture book. but uh, I'm excited to read that, excited to hear what you have to say about these songs, because, uh, you know, I'm going to be like, yeah, this song's cool, and you're going to know, like, everything about it. So, that's killer. We're very honored to have you here. Yeah, Ian, I hope you didn't have to do research like you do on every show. We got Robert here. <laughs> yeah, but I still, you know, I, I got I got notes, but, you know, you know how my shit is. It's more passionate, but he might have a little bit more insight uh, on the songs, and even if he doesn't, who gives a fuck? Let's get drunk and talk about Cheap Trick. Yeah, and you know? plus, and plus, if you get, you usually get your info from Wikipedia, and Robert can correct it because Wikipedia is uh, wrong all the time. Right. I, I mean, wrong. I mean, right. But uh, first, before we get into the album, uh, I know we, we spoke about this on Vieira Vault, but there's people like Ian that are very jealous of me, so they won't listen. So yeah, uh, not a fan. Not a fan. Not, not yeah. It's all jealousy. Uh, but, uh, Robert, tell us uh, your inspiration to start the book. And uh, I believe, tell us about your other book, too. Well, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book about uh, the Scottish, the great Scottish rock band, Nazareth. Nice. And, uh, and that book uh, did very well. A lot of the fans really enjoyed it. Uh, the band members really enjoyed it. I got a lot of photos on Facebook of people uh, all over the world sending me pictures of them either just with the book or in some cases uh, with band members and getting band members to sign their copies. Uh, so that was really cool. And the Cheap Trick book follows a very similar template as the Nazareth book, which is just that each chapter uh, looks at a specific album and I talk about the songs, the recording, uh, singles, chart action, if there was any uh, radio broadcasts or TV appearances to promote that specific album and uh, just kind of try to cover as much as I can about each record. And then in the next chapter, you move on to the next album. 
Gosh. Yeah, it's a very good read. Uh, I'm up to Oscar Cup, and I already explained why. I haven't read it all yet, but, you know, all the jealous people got to listen to my podcast so I realize why. But, um, all right, what we usually do, Robert, is that we uh, talk about the album, how we first heard it, and stuff like that. But before we go into that, Ian, why don't you tell us who donated for this show? Uh, this is your good buddy. Tim Breen paid for this by donating to the Rocket Pod Expo 2. This is one of three albums that he donated for. So I want you know we'll get into it more when we do Family Week. But I want to say thank you so much and uh, this cause um, helping us do the best expo we can. Amazing guests announced already. Even more amazing guests getting announced in the future. Uh, so thank you, uh, Tim, loyal listener, and uh, we appreciate it. This is an album that we talked about reviewing for years. As it was, so we were more than happy to talk whoa, about whoa, this. Whoa, 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 Ian. We appreciate it? Uh, yeah, I meant me and Robert. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> but and, and we're very honored uh, to have you on this episode, Robert. Uh, very excited. And I uh, can't wait to read your book. Uh, not only this one in Nazareth. And uh, after the show, we're going to let everybody know how they can get their hands on a copy of this. Robert, why don't you tell us... Your reaction, because, you know, you're like us. You already knew Cheap Trick up to this point. Your reaction the first time you heard this album as a whole? Well, it was, you know, I wasn't as fanatic about them as I had been. I was I was still listening to them. But when this album came along, it just took my head off. I loved it from the first listen. I loved hearing the really loud guitars again and hearing Robin screaming on the album. Uh, really, I think it's one of the best things that they've ever done in their career, definitely up until 97. Just a, a phenomenal piece of work. Um, I love it. I absolutely love it. If you were going to make, like, a, if I could only take five Cheap Trick albums, say, to a desert island, uh, 1997 self-titled would be uh, with me for sure. Wow. Nice. Uh, how about you, Ian? Uh, well, when this one came out... Uh, I kind of checked out for a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I grew up hearing them on the radio, you know, with the classics. And then I bought, the first one I bought myself was Lap of Luxury. And I loved certain songs, but I was like, eh. And then when they came out with Busted and I heard that Can't Stop Falling in Love, I was like, no, I'm not buying that shit. And then I heard Wake Up With a Monster and I loved the title track, but for whatever reason, uh, I didn't get the album. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'd got really into the old stuff. And when this one came out, I hadn't heard anything, you know, because the local radio station wasn't playing it, didn't see a video. But when I saw it in Block, I mean, not Blockbuster, uh, Best Buy, what got me to get it was it was a limited edition that had, uh, you know, the, the two extra tracks on a separate CD. And I'm such a sucker for, like, limited edition stuff. I was like, you know what, no matter what, I love Cheap Trick, let me fucking buy this. And uh, was blown away. I was like, wow, this is really solid. And uh, loved it ever since. But I got to admit, I I played it a lot when it first came out. But, like, I didn't go back to it as much as I did, like, the classic stuff. But I would always go back and play a few songs. Uh, you know, because there's a few standouts. Like, oh, God, I got to hear that song. got to hear that song. But listening to it again for the review, it, I was like, ah, damn, why did I stay away from this album? There's so much stuff. Uh, you, you know, even ones that I liked before, either I like them better now or like, uh, you know, 
just like, wow, why didn't that one grab me the first time? I've really had, I've really enjoyed going back and revisiting this album, and and plan on keeping it more in a steady rotation. Yeah, uh, good idea. The memories of this album for me was uh, what sticks out in my mind is where I'm sitting right now. It was the year I bought this condominium, and I remember playing it. Uh, I remember actually, I. I uh, I was already living here for a while because I remember I was playing that box set a lot. Uh, Robert, yeah. Robert, uh, refresh my memory. The box set was after Woke Up with a Monster, or was it yeah. before? It was Nin- after. Ninety-six was the box set. Okay, because I remember hearing that a lot, and then this one came out. I, I've been living here for several months, and I remember vividly remember playing the hell out of that CD. Uh, you know, when I would clean the house on, on any occasion. Uh, absolutely love the album. I, I was uh, a little more sucked into Cheap Trick when Woke Up to the Monster. Well, even though I, I I feel the album's better, but I felt Woke Up with a Monster uh, for the most part because it did have some terrible tracks that weren't written by the band. Like, I think it was Dig a Pony or something. But <clears throat> it had some great songs on there, and I, and I was really like uh, happy that they were going into a different direction. But this one, it, like really went into a different direction because Woke Up with a Monster I loved it for the for the pop for the poppiness of it like you're all I want to do and never run out of love and stuff like that but then when I heard this one this one was more like you know heavy cheap trick you know harkening back to the first album and you know one, one song's like actually very dark on here and uh, Robert will tell you it, it it features a piece of a song that was never on none of their albums though it's featured on the box set and uh, loved it. I was like, oh my God, I saw the tour, met the band, you know, in order to meet the band at the show, you had to buy the CD and I already bought the CD. So I was like, fuck it, I'll buy it again. And uh, met him again. I mean, met him because of that. And man, do I, I, I really love this album now. I haven't gotten this far into the book, Robert. So um, I, I'm sure you probably mentioned this in the book. So um, the little mystery about the beginning of the CD that if you put it on and press rewind, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. Yeah, Robert will tell you about it. Tell, tell us about that, and then tell us what you think about the song anytime. Well, the, the you know, at the time in the 90s, there was sort of a fad with CDs of putting uh, hidden tracks on, on, on CDs. So uh, you could get to the end of, a, of an album and it would just keep playing and it could have as much as 10, you know, 15 minutes of dead air and then a song would appear. And uh, that was done, uh, I know Marilyn Manson's uh, Antichrist Superstar album has that where the tracks just keep clicking, like for like every second it switches to another track and it's just dead air up until, I think it actually gets to like track 99 and then there's another song or something. So this was something that was it was a fad at the time, and uh, kind of cool to have a song that was hidden. Kind of frustrating if you wanted to get to it right away. Sometimes it was like I say, hidden amongst the 15 minutes of dead air. So what Cheap Trick did was a little different. When you and I don't think it works on all players, uh, or it didn't back then. If you put the CD when you first put it in your player. Uh, Ralph's right, you hit rewind and it goes back, I think it's like three and a half minutes or something, and it's sort of a weird collage of, of the different songs or different parts of the songs and from the recording sessions, and you just kind of hear this 
collage of, of uh, collage of all different kind of pieces blended in, uh, just as a, like a little novelty. Um, but if you didn't know it was there, you'd, you'd, you'd never find it on your own. Like, you wouldn't know because it's definitely not listed on the artwork or the track listing or anything like that. So it's, uh, it's just like a little hidden uh, Easter egg kind of thing. Uh, d uh, did you know about that, Ian? I had no idea until uh, today I went on my beloved Wikipedia and I, and I saw it and I was like, I had no fucking idea. And I know I have, you know, the original pressing that came, you know, did you get the same one, Ralph, that came? Yes, like with, baby, with baby Talks yeah. and uh, Brontosaurus. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. So, so Robert, what do you think of the first track, Anytime? Uh, right out of the gate with Anytime. Um, I love it. Uh, it's got that weird uh, kind of funky stuttering drum thing that Bunny is doing. Uh, Xander's screaming could strip paint on this song. It's just fantastic. And uh, monster, monster uh, guitar riffs. It's like a real return to form. To me, like, you know, you asked me before how I felt when I first heard this album. When I first heard this song, I really felt like, wow, Cheap Trick are back. This is like 1977 Cheap Trick, except with louder guitars and a 12-string bass. And uh, I loved it right away. Fantastic. A great opener for the album. Big fan. Hell yeah. Uh, how about how about you, Ian? Uh, yeah, well, I agree with everything you said. I, great opening track. Uh, to me, a great modern-sounded Cheap Trick song. I mean, there, there's classic elements there, but, I mean, it really, uh, to me, it doesn't sound like an old band. It sounds like a young, hungry band, uh, you know, in their modern production. And uh, I, I really think this should have been a single. Uh, I think this could have done very well on radio, but I, I don't know. I, I think Cheap Trick. Everybody should know Cheap Trick, and every album should sell. And and then uh, obviously we're in the minority. Uh, but yeah, this sounds like Cheap Trick uh, being Cheap Trick. Like they already went through. Like okay, we we did what we had to do to try to get on the radio. We, we tried to do what the record label wants. Now we're just like fuck it. We're on an independent label, and let's just do us, you know, and give it a try. And, and it really comes across throughout the whole fucking album, but especially on, on this track. Yeah. It harkens back to good, heavy, you know, early seventies, well, I mean, late seventies, but early era cheap trick, much more than eighties era cheap trick. Um, I, I think it's a great, I would love to hear this or any song off this album. I, I don't think any of the times I've seen cheap trick, I've heard anything off this album. Uh, but god damn this to me this would be a great concert opener would would, would be phenomenal all, all all about great song and the longest song on this album at four minutes and 36 seconds <laughs> which i love man it's just like you know there's no noodling no you know no iron maiden fucking prog shit here we're just we're gonna write a good fucking song kick it out here you go anytime perfect i'd love to listen to this song anytime what do you think, Ralph? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you summed it up perfectly. Both of you did. Uh, listening to this album as a whole, it's like, man, I hear no record company pressure on this album, which I've been hearing on Cheap Trick albums since one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, <clears throat> this song is great. Uh, my favorite line, I have vo the, the first line. You know, I hear voices inside my head, and all of them just want to talk to you. 
that's total Rick Nielsen. Because Rick Nielsen has this warped way of uh, writing lyrics. Uh, they're a little, like, you know, schizophrenic a little bit. So that's a great, great, amazing line. And I love, you know, how Robin, like, eases into this song. He, like, sings it, you know, kind of low in the beginning and then just starts screaming when the band kicks in during the chorus. It's uh, definitely a classic. And uh, I always seen them... Well, I've seen, obviously, I saw him play it on his tour, but I did see them play this at this club where I actually played at, which was like mind blowing. I'm like, oh my God, I'm standing where Robert Zander stood. Um, and um, <clears throat> they played it prior to, which was the album that had a uh, Sensible Woman, special one? Yeah, special one. Yeah, because I remember that night they played Bad Obsession and uh, Special One, and uh, your my obsession, I mean. And. Uh, the album wasn't out yet, but they played a couple of the songs. But they did play any time that night, and I was so happy because that was the only time I've ever seen them play anything off that album since this tour. Uh, other than, uh, well, I guess uh, when they opened for Motley Crue, they were still technically uh, promoting this album, and uh, which they played it that night too. So I've seen them play this song a total of three times, which was I'm, I'm happy to say. But uh, I love it. I'll take the next one. Hard to tell. Um, <clears throat> Hard to Tell was a, a concert staple. And um, I hate to say anything negative about the song because I love it. But this album's so good. This is like one of my, I feel like all the other songs are kind of better. Except for maybe one. But uh, yeah, even played on the Motley Crue tour when they were opening. And they were an opening act and they threw this song in there. And uh, it's a great melodic, uh, but it has a little edge to it with the kind of that riff going on during the... Uh, during the verses, it's uh, it's kind of like a, a nice poppy song with a little, a little bit of an edge. I dig this song, you know. I don't mean to say anything negative about it, but this album's so good that I prefer I prefer pretty much every other track on here. Uh, what do you think of "Hard to Tell," Robert? Uh, I love it. I think it's it's got that neat thing that uh, these guys do really well. Um, a lot of my favorite Cheap Trick songs, and that they have. These really like loud guitars and there's aggression and then they can shift suddenly to like these Beatles kind of like harmony and this real sunny kind of singing you know um, uh, they do it a lot on, on this album um, like when Robin sings uh, you know life is hell uh, but I do it well and it sounds kind of like so funny the way that he sings it like he's so like I can hear him smiling when he's singing it but other parts of the song he's like really rough and and uh, aggressive again so uh, I'm, I'm a fan. Nice. Ian? Uh, well, yeah, I, I get what both of you say because this song was a grower uh, to me. And even going back and, and revisiting it, at first I was like, ah, there, there, there was just something, something amiss, but not anything to where I would call it a bad song. But, you know, like you said, Ralph, there's so many other great songs on here. It kind of made it stick out but the more i listened to it, it it definitely grew on me and i and i think what really kind of sealed the deal for me uh you know is after the second chorus you know when it changes up a little bit for a second and i just love what they did there that little middle section sealed the deal uh and i dig the song but i would say uh my second least favorite but i still love it why don't you take the next one ian all right, uh, Carnival Game. All right, I take back what I said. I would say 
hard to hard to tell is my third least favorite. This would be my second least favorite. And uh, again, not there's nothing bad about this. I, I just think you know so much stuff on this album is, is better. Uh, and and I, I think it was a poor choice as a second single. Uh, well, I mean, if you want to get technical, they say you know. Uh, Baby Talk, you know, preceded the album and was a single, uh, you know, uh, and then Say Goodbye and, and this one. And I don't know. I just, I, I think this is the wrong one to release off this and the wrong uh, kind of example of what the album is, maybe. I, th- I think this song is more of an anomaly. Uh, I think a lot of other songs have more in common and represent the album better. Uh, again, not bad, just, just not my favorite, but nothing horrible just doesn't grab me as much as the rest oh man i i uh like you were saying it was your third least favorite this one's like my third favorite i absolutely love this song this song's amazing and you know i always when i heard this album back then i you know i pretty much dug the whole thing but it wasn't until vh1 had a, a cheap trick concert during this era and they played it uh on that show and that's when it really hooked me I love the verse. I love, you know, um, what was it? Something in Mardi Gras. And I mean, I just love Robin's delivery on this song. I think it's a beautiful song. It's a, And I love the way it starts with the little piano, like very odd. And then it goes into this, you know, kind of like a mid-tempo, poppy, but still dark. And uh, I, I find this song to be absolutely beautiful. I absolutely love Carnival Game. What do you think, Robert? Uh I'm, I'm more with you than I'm with Ian on this one. I like it a lot. I, I do like that little piano intro that Robin plays. It's this clunky little uh, fun thing. And uh, it's got some Beatle moments. Uh, it's got some great harmony vocals. This tune, of course, was co-written with, by uh, two Nashville songwriters from the group uh, The Mavericks, who I believe Tom Peterson brought them on board. I think he's friends with these guys, um, which is a change from... You know, something you said earlier, they had a bunch of records where the record company uh, was forcing them to work with outside writers and getting these professional song doctors uh, involved in Cheap Trick Records. And I I personally am pretty offended as a fan that you get a guy like Rick Nielsen and you don't let him write the songs on his album. I think the reason a lot of us first got into Cheap Trick were because of Rick Nielsen's songs. Uh, he's a very unique songwriter, especially when he was a lot younger. So in this case, I don't mind the outside songwriters because they're actually friends of the band. It's not something that the label is forcing on them. I think that's a real important distinction. Uh, it's not that they can't write with other people. That's fine. But I like them to be able to choose who they're going to write with, not some label just bringing in these uh, generic song doctors, which I think was a huge misstep. Uh, for the case, uh, or for their management, probably more than anybody, that they allowed that to happen. So here we got Jerry Dale McFadden and Robert uh, Reynolds from the Mavericks. And uh, yeah, great tune. Great, uh, even though they're Nashville guys and they're from the Mavericks, uh, not really a hint of any country to the song, more of a Beatle kind of thing. But uh, are, great, great song. Uh, sorry, are the Mavericks, are they a country band? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm not familiar with it. I can kind of see if the Mavericks actually had everything to do with this song. I can see this song be uh, very tailor-made to be a country song. But, you know, Cheap Trick, you know, they made it into one of their own. 
but uh, sure. it's beautiful. It, it, it's just a great, great song. Uh, Robert, why don't you take the next track? Well, this is a this is a pretty special song on the album, uh, "Shelter." Uh, finally, they kind of slow things down a little bit after all that aggression and screaming and loud guitars. Um, it's primarily written by an outside writer. On the credits, they just call him Jamie. Uh, his name's actually Jamie Mika, and uh, the band added like a new bridge to the song, but apparently. The majority of the song is, was already written um, and you know this song has a lot of emotion to it as Rick Nielsen had lost both of his parents uh, shortly before I think recording this album so it's a very um, mellow song it's very somber it's got uh, a cello part on it uh, acoustic guitars uh, excellent vocal but uh, you can tell there's a lot of emotion to it uh, a lot of heartbreak in it um, which really adds a, a great flavor to the album after, like I say, so much aggression, so many loud guitars, loud drums, and this is a nice little moment of uh, introspection. Oh yeah, this this I mean, <clears throat> I'm so happy to have my both parents alive, but uh, if either of them pass away, I don't think I'll ever listen to this song again because it's heart wrenching. It's really really heart wrenching, especially like the last verse where it gets like really somber and you hear the cellos and. Uh, yeah, um, interesting. I, I was not aware that uh, Rick Nielsen's parents wrote, uh, passed away shortly before. And I should have thought of that because when I listened to this, because Robin Zander is so convincing. Now, I was thinking, you know, because uh, it was Zander. It was Zander's parents. That's, you know, that's how good his delivery is on it. It's, uh, it makes the hair raise up. It's, it's just beautifully done, but very, you know, I get the same uh, emotion when I hear the ballad from Motorhead, uh, 1916, which also features cello. And uh, <clears throat> absolutely love, love, love Shelter. What do you think, Ian? Uh, man, when, when, when this kicks on, it's like picking up a hot chick at the bar, and then you get her home, and she's got a dick. <laughs> uh, which, you know, come on, guys. It's happened to us all. Uh, back what? What? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I just sure that. <laughs> oh, God damn. It happened to uh, me, but it was on purpose. <laughs> it, it, this is just, it, it, it's sad and depressing, and it sounds like a, a song from a goddamn funeral. And it really kind of, like, killed the momentum for me, and it just ma it made me sad, and I don't want to be... So I, I mean, I, it's effective in evoking emotion. I, I, I get that. Uh, you know, so point taken there. I mean, whatever they're trying to do, they do it. But man, I just, I wasn't expecting it and I wasn't wanting it. <laughs> it just made me sad. And, uh, you know, I get depressed and it, and it really, it started making me think of Andrew Jacobs. Oh boy. And, and I was like, you know, even if he has a kid, can he enjoy father's day? You know, if he watches an episode of Friends, does he get depressed because he has none? Uh, you know, if his wife cooks fish, does he get suspicious? You know, uh, I, I mean, when he hears a bad podcast, does he think about Mark Alden Taylor and his wife? Uh, you know, if Trump cancels disability... 
will he be able to pay rent? You know? And if he hears Melissa Etheridge on the radio, will he crash his car? I, I think the song does what it wants to do, but it's just not what I want to hear. So I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a bad song. It's just not a song I want to hear. I find it very depressing. So why don't you take the next track? You let a lot of people down. Oh, ouch! Now this is what I'm talking about. This is what nice I'm talking segue. about. Uh, I love this fucking song. I love the heaviness of it. And this is a dark song. Uh, but I, I, I love the heaviness of it. And I love hearing it from Cheap Trick in 1997. Uh, and, and again, like we've, we've talked about earlier, you know, there's a lot of other uh, Cheat Trick albums where you hear uh, record album, or, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry uh, the record company, you know, pushing them in a way, and this is just them being them. And if anybody has some dark shit to think about, it's Cheat Trick. I mean, really, they're a happy band, but look how good they are. I mean, look how many great songs this band has written. And at this stage in their career, where they're at, like they should be much higher and held in much more esteem, had much more record sales, just because of the quality of their music. But because they love and believe in what they're doing, they will not give up. They just persevere and persevere and persevere. You know, and and you can see where you can still get some darkness, even though they write these bright, beautiful songs and heavy songs, but uh, when they do something like this, you feel it. And, and, and you know, between, you know, Rick's guitar and Tom's bass, and I, I, I love me some Buddy, but man, when Xander gets in that fucking zone, oh my god, and the way he sings on this, uh, a dark song, but man, I just, I feel it. I feel this fucking song. I love it. One of my favorites, man. I love me some heavy cheap trick. Great fucking song, and this really picked me up after the Ballad of Andrew Jacobs. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny <laughs> is that this song may not be as long as any time, but doesn't it feel longer? To me, it does. I guess because of the changes. Uh, what do you think of this song, uh, Robert? I know you got some inside uh, information I, on this. Well, I, I like this one a lot. I think. Uh, you know, I'm not going to argue anything that Ian said. It's a great tune. Of course, this song is uh, kind of a, a rant against their ex-manager, Ken Adamani, who uh, they had separated from. They were pretty uh, upset with him. And uh, this song is uh, really just... Uh, they don't they don't come out all the time and, and admit to that. They like to keep things a little bit vague. But uh, it's about Ken Adamani. And uh, one interesting part about the song is a lyric where Xander's really just screaming. And the line is, because you ain't seen nothing till a man comes, a man starts coming with a gun. And that line is actually from an old song called Violin that they used to play in their club days. And there's even a live version of that on the Sex America Cheap Trick box set from 90, uh, well, from just before this album came out. So that's there's an example of them kind of borrowing a little bit from a tune that you know most people hadn't heard. They, I don't think they played it often once they got out of the clubs. Um, so so that's like a neat little throwback for uh, for hardcore fans who follow that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know it's funny, Robert. Um, during this era, they were on Howard Stern doing a little acoustic set, and they played this song and actually told them it was about their ex-manager. So I was like, 
one of those very, very rare occasions where they actually did come out and say like some little dirty details of their history. Uh, yeah, right. man, what can I say? And, and and it's funny how you mentioned violence. I knew you were going to bring that up. Um, <clears throat> when I first heard this song, I remember that section coming on going, where did I hear this before? This sounds familiar, that, that one section over and over again. It wasn't until the next time I put on violins. I was like, ah, that's where they got it from. They put that section into this song. Oh, yeah, it's very heavy. Very, this is the darkest song on the album, on the album for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, this one is like, you know, all chains off, man, and uh, left to their own devices and pretty much like the old album. But this one is like just throwing the dirt and you can hear in his voice and in the band itself how mad they were and they really did take all that anger and put it into a song and i think it was extremely effective and extremely well put out and extremely awesome this song is incredible now the shocking part i like hard to tell more than this one this is my least favorite out here but i wow. love it. <laughs> but you know i mean it really sounds bad when I say this is my least favorite. It makes it sound like a bad song, which it's not. It's a great song, but I just prefer every other song on here more than this. And I didn't mention well, my favorite song. Then. I didn't mention my favorite song on here is Anytime, the first track. But uh, no, it's a great song. Don't get me wrong. Now I'll go to the next one, which <clears throat> shocks me that I've never seen them play this live. Uh, Baby No More. It is so... You know, sporadic, hard. I love the bass, the guitars. It's heavy, probably the fastest song on here. And uh, love, absolutely love Baby No More. Uh, I do believe I did hear a, a live version of this somewhere. But it was, I don't think it was played live alive. But uh, it's the heaviest song, I think. The heaviest, fastest tune on here. Baby No More is awesome. It's probably the shortest song on here. Or maybe it's wrong all along. One of those two are the shortest. It's the second or this is the second shortest. Yeah, wrong with, that, along. Yeah, shortest. wrong along. Which which did they play they did play live. But um yeah, baby baby no more is uh I just love the way, you know, the drums and that, you know, the man of a thousand voices does that one voice, you know, don't wanna be a baby no more. And the, you know, the guitar and bass and stuff sounds so insane. It's one of my favorites, but it's definitely a great, great song. I absolutely love it. What do you think, Ian? Uh, well, this is one that, honestly, when I was first spinning the record, uh, I, I don't know, it, it must not have left an impression on me, because uh, it wasn't one that I really remembered. And the first couple times I listened to this album, you know, getting ready for the review, it kind of, you know, because it's short, it kind of came and went, saw it as a little bit of filler. But today on the way to work, I don't know what it was, but it just hit me like a ton of bricks. This is one of those where I'm slapping the fucking steering wheel like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not going to be your baby no more. You know, and just loving like uh, almost the Ramones type feel of it. Yeah, good good point. And, I didn't, I never thought of that, but yeah, I do hear Ramones in it. Right, and, it, and it's just one of those, and it's a short song like the Ramones. But, uh, I didn't look at it as filler no more. It's like, it's just something like they said what they had to say in a short amount of time, but it's not a throwaway track. It's just a hard rocker, man. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I'm driving up to the light, hit my window and, or hit my uh, steering wheel. 
and then I'm at a red light. I'm like, come on, change, motherfucker, because I want to drive to this shit, you know? It just, it gave me a good fucking jolt, a good kick in the ass at fucking, you know, 6.20 in the morning, and it had me revved up, and uh, I, I love this song. I love Baby No More. What do you think, Robert? Uh, I like it a lot. It's, it's an interesting song. I'm, I, I do like your Ramones uh, analogy. I hear that for sure. But it does show how these guys really play around with their arrangements because there's two different demo versions of this song with Tom on lead vocals. And one of them is sort of similar to the album take, although uh, Bun swings the rhythm a lot more than he does on the album take. So that sounds pretty neat. But there's another demo version where Tom's vo- vocals are uh, like heavily echoed or treated and they do the song really slow. It's almost like a Sabbath type, you know, that kind of slowly kind of crawling forward kind of thing. So to go from a demo like that, where it's this beast just kind of slowly moving over the landscape and Tom having this echoey uh, microphone on his lead vocals, to then the album take, that it does sound like a real quick, you know, proto kind of thrashy punk Ramones kind of thing really shows that they, they they played around with this one a bit and they tried a few different things. Uh, I mentioned in my book that if there's ever a deluxe edition of the Cheap Trick 97 album, they got to throw some of these demos on as bonus tracks. They're really interesting. That's wild, Robert. I, I had no idea. There. So the demos, you've heard the demos. Yeah. And, and one, one thing I want to ask you, Robert, because I, I know you know a lot about this, and it's unfortunate because this is like the one-off that they did with the record label, and you know I'm sure we'll get into that later. Uh, that this is only available now as a digital download. Uh, you know, unless you get like a you know a used copy or somebody has a, still like has a sealed copy. Uh, but they said it was reissued in 2004 in Japan. But this is I would love to get this on vinyl. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. No, no talk about that, huh, Robert? You haven't heard any rumblings of. This ever being released on vinyl? God, I would love to have this on vinyl. Well, I can tell you that in the, uh, you know, they used to have these newsletters. If you're in the fan club, I don't know if they still, maybe they still have them. Um, but in the uh, 2001 fan club newsletter, they said that Bun was actually working on a re-release of this album, and it was going to have uh, some bonus tracks, and he was working on the packaging, and they were going to retitle it. This was on a record label called Red Ant that went out of business shortly after the album came out, which uh, completely ruined the album's chances for success. They're going to retitle it Dead Ant. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. But um, unfortunately, as uh, as we sit here in 2018, nothing's come from that. And uh, I I don't know if we're ever going to see it. But yeah, it's been out of print for... For many, many years, I do have a Japanese copy of it because the, the Canadian copies up here didn't come with that CD single that you guys were talking about when you bought it to, to have those uh, two extra songs. So I ordered, or I, I bought in a record store, the Japanese import, which also has those two extra songs. Um, since then, I, I have been able to track down one of those cardboard sleeve uh, CD samplers with the two tracks. But at the time, that's the only place I could get the... Those uh, two. So I do have the J- Japanese version. Shit, that breaks because I was just gonna tell you, since you're so cool, I was gonna trade. I was gonna give you my copy for, for a copy <laughs> of your book. 
God damn it. Uh, Robert, why don't you take the next one? Yeah, yeah. Right. A, uh, another, another favorite of mine. Got this really, uh, almost John Lennon kind of backing vocals in it. Uh, the, the very beginning of it, the guitars just slam out of the speakers. Um, just, it, not, I don't know if it's a super memorable song. It's, uh, it, it does seem to go by pretty quickly. It's not the shortest song on the album, but it's, it's not a long song. But uh, I think the guitars are great, and um, I, have, I have no issues with it. I really enjoy the backing vocals. I like to imagine that it's uh, John Lennon singing them. Yeah, I absolutely love this. And uh, I do own the, the what was it, Say Goodbye single, which has like a different version to the song. It's kind of like a remix thing. Um, no, I absolutely love this song. I love the the verses, the way that Robin sings it. It's got this uh, kind of a menacing uh, vibe to it. And yeah, I love that chorus. Uh, and, you know, then Robert Robin belting it out and, <clears throat> I think it's a really nice, cool, cheap trick song. Great addition to this album. Uh, absolutely love Yeah, Yeah. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. I love this goddamn song. Give me a whole album of this shit. And in a, in a way, they kind of did, aside from a few twists and turns that are on this album. Uh, you know, I think it fits perfect within what they did on this album. I mean, this... It... it, it it sounds like it belongs here. It sounds like classic Cheap Trick to me. And, uh, you know, it's not my favorite song on the album, but it, it just, it, it's the it's part of the glue that holds the album together. This is killer filler. You know, this is, you know, I always want to hear this after Baby No More. You know, I, I love, love this song. Everything I love about Cheap Trick is in this. Uh, like I said, even though it's not in my top favorite, it's just, Perfect. I, I love Yeah Yeah. Great one. Why don't you take the next one? Say goodbye. Oh my God. I get to do this one? Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, fuck yeah. My favorite song on the album by far. And that's saying something because there's so many great songs on here. Um, but this is one, like I said, uh, I, I never heard a single off this album okay I, you know i was in florida at this time was not played on rock radio did not see the video on mtv this is purely the like this is me at work with a disc man for you 90s people uh you know i'm at work with this disc man on my hip and my headphones on and i heard this song and i was like great googly moogly <laughs> what the fuck is this this is goddamn amazing this is so fucking Beatles and so cheap trick and I, I, honestly I gotta if, if you don't like this song go fuck yourself uh, I, I, I mean this this would be if I had to pick you know I, and I have a vast knowledge of music I listen to many different genres of music this would be in my greatest hundred songs of all time and that's saying something that's pulling from, you know, metal and funk and soul and, you know, all kinds of shit. This would be in the top 100, where I don't know because I'm too lazy to make a list. I, I, you know, I, I really agree with what Ian's saying here. This, this song really kind of 
ticks off all the boxes of, uh, of what you look for in a real quality Cheap Trick song. Um, the vocals between uh, Robin and Rick on the chorus where, you know, one of them's holding the note, like when they're singing the word goodbye, one of them's holding oh. the, the note, and then the other one is kind of going up and down a little bit. and like Yeah, and, and I'm holding my around. dick because I'm so excited. <laughs> I think it's the, the third or the fourth time that they do it. One of them ends a little early, and I think it, it's Rick who, who kind of fumbles at the end and kind of goes well, goodbye. Like they don't do they don't do as much as they love Beatle harmonies. I guess they're not disciplined enough to really study them and learn them and get them perfect. So they do play around with the notes, which I love. I think it's great that you got a, a great singer like Robin and then kind of a quirky singer like Rick, but together the voices are, are fantastic. And uh, during the verses, if you listen, Tom is doing some really great stuff with his bass guitar. Um, oh. You know, he, he's not quite playing it as a lead instrument like he does often, and I love it when he does that. But on the uh, verses for Say Goodbye, he's really pushing it forward. And, uh, you know, earlier I was saying that on Yeah, Yeah, I like to imagine that it's John Lennon singing backing vocals. On Say Goodbye, the guitar solo just reminds me like of the George Harrison feel. So oh, yeah. much, and I'm not a big I'm not a big Beatles guy. I'll put that out there. But uh, between the harmonies on the chorus, Tom's bass on the verses, this uh, you know, there's some delicate acoustic guitar at the beginning, this George Harrison style uh, guitar solo. Uh, it's a winner. Fantastic tune. Uh, more more people need to hear this. You you need to play it on your show, Ralph. Uh, I have actually. Uh, I do I do this uh, classic rock thing at the end of my show, and there's never uh, a show I do where I don't play Cheap Trick. And yes, I have played this and any time so far from this album on my show, which I should play more. Right. But yes, this is uh, uh, my second favorite on the album. Uh, absolutely love Say Goodbye. Uh, I, I wasn't even aware there was a video for this song until uh, uh, VHS trading with somebody that had a compilation. And when this came on, I was like, oh, my God. I think it was from Much Music. Uh, America, yeah. MTV never played this video, ever, uh, <clears throat> which is a shame. But, I mean, this is very badly promoted here in the States because of the record company folding. So unless you were like a real Cheap Trick fan, you know, you'd go, you know, anybody that's a casual Cheap Trick fan, they walk in the record store and they see that, they're, you know, they're not going to buy it. They're not like you, Ian, that, you know, oh, right. You know, I haven't really bought a Cheap Trick album in a long time, but I love Cheap Trick, and there's a limited edition one. I'm going to get it. No, that doesn't really, which is a shame because America, America's missing out on such an amazing band. And yeah, I agree. You know, there's nothing I can say about the song that you two, you both didn't already cover. Uh, it's it's perfect. It's just a perfect song. I love, uh, you know, the 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 quiet intro, and then you know the more um, mid-tempo type of uh, pickup during it. And yeah, the way that uh, Rick Nielsen's in the background with the vocals, it's just it's just beautiful. Um, I'll take the next one, which is uh, Wrong All Along. <clears throat> Rockin' Tune, you know, I can almost get a vibe of All Shook Up on this song a little bit, uh, the, the album. Um, it has kind of like that that vibe is, and, and a concert staple back then. This one they'd play every time I saw them around that era. Wrong All Along was always played. Typical, but still special. 
Cheap Trick Rocker. Definitely not in the lower tier of my uh, of the songs on this album that I absolutely love every track. Uh, it's up there a little bit. Up there, like, you know, right below Baby No More, I guess. Uh, and, like, Baby No More, it's kind of like a straightforward rockin' tune. And uh, absolutely love this song. Long Along is awesome. What do you think, Robert? Uh, I, I like it a lot. The beginning... Uh, the guitars right at the beginning is a definitely uh, kind of a Rolling Stones kind of thing, um, which I love to hear. Uh, Rick showing kind of that part of his influences. Um, you know, we talk about the Beatles so much when we talk about Cheap Trick, and there's a reason for that. They are heavily influenced by the Beatles. But uh, I think it's good to spot some of those other influences, you know, a little Yardbird lick here or there, some Stones uh, guitar kind of tone on, on this song. It's another quick song. It seems to go by pretty quick. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that it reminds you of All Shook Up, because I kind of can almost picture it being on the Heaven Tonight album. kind of fits in with, like, Top of the World and California Man and, and some of those kind of tunes. Oh, yeah, so, uh, I can hear that. But then again, you know, All Shook Up had I Love You, Baby, but I Hate Your Friends. That's total stones, you know? That's a, Yeah, the, yeah the, the guitars on that, that is a complete stones thing, yeah, for sure. Great. What do you think, Ian? Uh, well, I fucking love it. I think it's a great dirty rocker. Uh, it's funny. We all come up with different shit it reminds us of because, you know, to me, it's kind of like I could hear this on Dream Police, you know, like right along, like, you know, the house is rocking with domestic problems kind of shit. Uh, you know, and, and I love it, man. It's the second shortest song, uh, or no, this this is the shortest song. Yeah, two minutes and 18 seconds. One and done, you know, like, uh, 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 I, like I said, I would say Baby No More reminds me more of like a Ramones type song, but it's just, it, it's a short rocker and it just, it kicks your ass and it doesn't overstay its welcome. And I love, if so many more artists would, uh, would learn that Iron Maiden, uh, you know, don't overstay your welcome. I mean, there's some band, you know, like Pink Floyd, you come out, you know, like dogs and shit like that off an of animal, you know, 17 minutes and it's worth every fucking second. But there's so many other bands who just, you know, can't pull it off. You know, there's nothing wrong with trimming the fat. And I, I love that this is an album that came out in the CD age, but still didn't overstay its welcome. I mean, even the hidden track was in the beginning. How awesome is that? You know, it's like, you don't have to sit there and listen to fucking 40 minutes at the end of the album that's silence, you know, to get to a track that isn't even worth it. They, they get rid of it in the beginning. Uh, you know, I, I love it, man. It, it's just good fucking rock and roll. Fuck, I love this band. I always get so drunk and happy and excited and like, just want to yell at people who don't get cheap tricked. Like, like Chris Inzak, the great Chris Inzak from Desperate Geek Podcast, does not geek, get cheap trick. He's like, ah, I like a few songs, but I don't get it. Like, bitch, you love fucking Poison. Why is this band opening up for Poison? Jesus fucking Christ. Where's the humanity? You know, it's like, this is a real band that's written amazing songs, but yet... I don't, I don't know what it is, and it, you know, Robert. Maybe I can throw this question to you uh, about why this band has never like took that next step. Is it, is it because like the the quirky 
uh, image of the band with Rick Nielsen? Is it one of those things where, like, you know, people get so burned out on I want you to want me and surrender that they don't dig deeper and that, that radio doesn't play more of their... I just... I don't understand why a band this good that's been around this long, like, people have time to digest this shit. Why has this not got to the next level? You, you have any uh, uh, thoughts there? I'll, I'll tell you, Ian, since since this book has been published, with every interview that I've done or every, every podcast, every radio interview, I get asked this question. Like, why do they not have a series of like the Kissology DVDs out, or why have they never done Behind the Music? Why are they not on the radio all the time? Why are they, uh, you know, they just put out this this fun Christmas album. Why weren't they the musical guests on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, considering that they do a song he wrote on the album? Or why weren't they the musical guests on the Christmas episode of Saturday Night Live? The career is, is it can be really frustrating for us hardcore fans, and to see them continually just be an opening act for bands that are nowhere near their league in my opinion right right um, that, that that can that that's frustrating too and uh, a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions uh, about it um, I do as well I think that um, I, I mean but did, is, is there something that you think uh, you know or any kind of insight you can give me because I'm 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 ignorant I just can't put a finger on it but you're smarter than me because you write books, you know, and, 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 and you know, I, I go to Denny's and ask for the picture menu. So, uh, you know, I, you, you should know this, God damn it. Well, well, unfortunately, I, and I don't like to admit it, but I think that at this point of the career, they don't want to work quite that hard. So it's, it's easy to do a 40 minute oh. set. Of, of all the same songs every night and you know maybe throw in one here or there but to, to go out and do like a full two hour set every night and, and change up the songs that's a lot of work and you know, they're I, but, not but young I, guys I, anymore I, I, I think they've done that for years and years they went out and did you know the longer sets and and they were one of those bands that and they still are for the most part unless they're on these horrible poison tours that change up their set list, and it and it's so great for like true fans. Uh, you know, of course, you know there's certain songs you're always going to hear, but you know they they change it up and they do all this, and they're opening up for fucking poison. When they, well, you, you know, you, you're not wrong. When they play their own shows, uh, last year they did. They went over to London, England, and they did some shows on their own there, and they did long shows. They changed up the set list. A lot of the fans are just thrilled with these performances. But unfortunately, especially in North America, they seem to just take these opening uh, slots on these amphitheater uh, tours. Uh, Ralph and I, I think, were talking about it recently that, uh, you know, there's a lot of chatter on online and on Facebook and various music message boards. Why is Cheap Trick opening for Foreigner, which was last summer? And right. the response from a lot of people was, well, it's Foreigner's 40th anniversary, so they really should headline. And uh, I got to call bullshit on that because 2017 was the 40th anniversary of the first Cheap Trick record. So this 40th anniversary right. thing is nonsense. Yeah, but... And there's a lot more There's a lot more original members 
and cheap trick to celebrate that 40th anniversary than there are in Foreigner. I'll tell you that right now. Right, <laughs> like but one what guy. I'll say here, and, and I, love for, I love Foreigner, but there are more Foreigner songs that you hear on the radio than what you hear from Cheap Trick. You, you know what I mean? I mean, they, they just... I, I don't know if it comes down to record company or what, but there's more songs like like say you were just a a, a a novice fan and you just listened to the radio and didn't buy albums if you just listen to radio you're gonna know far more foreigner songs than your will cheap trick and i don't think it's because they're lazy because this band never stops touring but you know it, it's like fucking led zeppelin opened up for chumba wumba <laughs> you know it's like this is insulting <laughs> you know it's like god damn you know, maybe, maybe I, Ian, maybe uh, financially, it's better for them to open these oh, big packages because maybe oh, you know, know it is. their headline no, tours, like yeah. maybe you know, just one show alone, they make as much oh. money as a, a week or two on the road uh, headline. Oh, you, you know, financially, uh, it, it helps them, and I want these guys to have money. And... Oh, me too. All right, I'll take the next track, Eight Miles Low. This song is a freaking masterpiece. It's total, like, bizarre, cheap, bizarro cheap trick. Uh, Robert, what the hell is Rick Nielsen saying in the chorus? He's like, peace, peace. What is that? What is he saying? Never knew what he was saying there. You know? Oh, what? Uh, uh, yeah, it sounds like either dreams or pleas or something. Yeah, yeah. I always wondered, what, what is it that he's saying? But, God, I love this song. You know, with the little, like, almost like Egyptian-type sound effect that starts it. Then it goes into this really, like, rocking tune with Rick Nielsen really highlighting his, you know, those weird high vocals he does. And uh, yeah. just, oh, my God, do I love this song. This is one of the standouts uh, on definitely on this album. Eight Miles Low is awesome. Is it a kind of a goof on Eight Miles High? Who was it that did Eight Miles High? The Birds. The Birds. Birds. Yeah, maybe it's kind of like the opposite of that. But I absolutely love Eight Miles Low. It's just a great, a total, total Cheap Trick song. Uh, what do you think, Robert? Uh, yeah, I love it. it. It really adds a different flavor to the album. Uh, like you say, it's got any, some exotic elements to it. That droning that you hear at the beginning and the end of the song, that's actually Tom playing a tambura, which is like uh, an Indian stringed instrument. So that, that makes it pretty different. That makes it pretty interesting. Uh, I also like, there's a part where Xander's just screaming, uh, you know, not the only boy, not the only boy, which is kind of taken from a ballad of TV violence from the first album. That's right, that's right, yeah. Well, I, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Indian classical music. I listen to a lot of Indian traditional music. And uh, although I didn't back then, so I, when the album came out, I didn't know what a tambura was. And I had to look into it. Now I'm pretty familiar with, with what a tambura is and, and different Indian instruments. So it's just a really neat thing to have uh, to have that on a cheap trick record. I don't know where they came up with that. Um, what do you think, Ian? Uh, well, i tell you what, I was scared at first because I was thinking, oh shit, this sounds like one of those George Harrison Beatles songs. Like, you know, is it going to be like full-blown sitar and I don't know. I was like, you know, Indian music like is like Indian food. It gives me the shits. Like, oh god, no. <laughs> uh, but 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 then it kicks into like 
a great fucking song. And I didn't know, you know, of course, I do my research on Wikipedia because I'm fucking lazy. Uh, what what he's actually, what uh, Nielsen is actually saying is Andrew Jacobs' wife is a pig, 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 pig. <laughs> She fat. But, you know, even with that all mixed in and, and the bad Indian food, it's a rocking fucking song. And and the title is classic. I love Eight Miles, I mean, because I'm a huge Birds fan. Uh, and and, and even, even the, they, they had me at the title. I knew when I read it, you know, I was like, oh, awesome. But then you get to the song and it's total, like, weird cheap trick you know it, it's different but cheap trick has always had those kind of weird fucked up different songs that work and uh and this one definitely works i love eight miles low killer song why don't you take the last track ian all right it all comes back to you all right a ballad and you know how i feel about ballads oh yeah for a guy that fucking loves cock rock as much as me, uh, I hate what they made their bread and butter on, the fucking ballads. And, but I will have to say, Cheap Trick is a band where I love their ballads. I mean, I mean uh, stuff like, you know, Mandicello, Voices, are some of the greatest songs of all time. Uh, you know, and earlier in this album, we had Shelter, which is a goddamn funeral dirge. This is more of like an outright ballad. Um, not my favorite song, but it works. Uh, it's not offensive. It doesn't feel forced, which is, you know, usually what I really hate in a ballad, you know, especially from hard rock bands, you know, anything post Home Sweet Home. It's like the obligatory, the record label says we got to do this, you know, to get the white girls. The, uh, the second single of the album. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, when, when the Rocker Bombs put out that fucking ballad. Uh, but that's right, Tommy. It isn't that bad of a song. That's my cat, Tommy, by the way, Robert. Yeah, okay, yeah, I gave you credit. Yeah, yeah, he sometimes uh, joins us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> only when he loves the song and, and he loves this and and I love it too not not my favorite but it is a sweet ballad and it feels it feels sincere this one does have the same writing team that you mentioned worked on uh, Carnival Game uh, and I will say I like this song better than Carnival Game uh, it, it, it's a sweet song uh, it, not on par with their best ballads but you know it's not that uh can't stop falling in love fucking bullshit that, that, that fucking Richie Zito produced fucking tripe uh, you know it, it's a good song you know to tell you the truth I would have rather had the two bonus tracks on this album uh, than this one in Carnival Game but uh, but but I like it, it it's sweet I, I, I can't hate on it even though it's not a, you know what I really want it's a decent song. What do you think, Robert? Uh, yeah, I think it's great. I think it ends the album on a really nice kind of, you know, th there's so much aggression, so many loud guitars, big booming drums. It's just like a really nice soft uh, kind of end to the album 
Robin's vocals are, are treated, so he's got a little bit of a sound effect on them. He's also playing a Martin Tipple, which is a kind of a very small uh, acoustic stringed uh, instrument. It looks almost like a uh, like a ukulele. It's very similar to that, and you can kind of hear him strumming on that just a little bit. Uh, I think it, it ends the album beautifully. I think it's a real lovely little moment, and it kind of sums up, make, makes it feel like it was a real album, not just like a collection of songs, because it, it really ends it on a nice uh, on a nice note. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely love this song. Uh, I I get this vision every time I hear this song. I I think of a of a blue sky with not a cloud in the sky. You know, it's just it gives me that kind of like. I don't know, beautiful day atmosphere song. Um, again, yeah, and, and and yes, you know, you put a ballad and Robin Zander's voice in it, surefire, you know, love I'm going to have for it. You know, even even those albums I wasn't fond of, like those ballads on there, I liked it. Even, you know, why oh why, you know, even it's sappy, as sappy as it might be, Robin Zander just sells it for me, you know, and he... But this one, you know, it's not just Xander. You know, the, the band has this really good atmosphere type vibe to the song. Very soft, beautiful. And again, uh, not a cloud in the nice blue sky, a beautiful day. And it's uh, it's kind of like a good song to celebrate life to, you know. And uh, absolutely love it. Well, I, I, I got to ask Robert, because he knows, is this song about VD? <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking for a friend. Well, by the book, you'll oh, find yeah. out. Yeah, you're asking for a friend. <laughs> by, by the book, he talks about it. Uh, okay, okay. Great selling point. And by the way, just for our listeners, there's a lot of uh, exclusive kiss stories in, in, in Robert's book, so go buy it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Trust us, that was awesome shit. Yeah, because Robert, we have a problem where we put up a kiss episode, it gets the most numbers, and then nobody, you know, then those kiss uh, nerds never listen to the other episodes. So we always promise, uh, we always promise every episode is going to have some kiss exclusives. So, uh, so I'm selling. Your, I'm <laughs> believe me, I'm selling your book by saying that. There's definitely some kiss stuff in the book. There is actually, yes, even like as early as I am in the book. Uh, yeah, there is some good uh, Kiss stories in it. So there you go, Kiss fans. You know, check out his book for, for some exclusive Kiss stuff. But uh, yeah, you guys want to touch upon the, the two uh, bonus tracks? I would love to. Okay, go ahead. All right. Well, the first bonus track, and if, uh, you know, you live in the colonies like Ralph and I, and you bought it right away, you did get it was it was packaged together but it was a separate cd in a cardboard sleeve and it had two tracks baby talk and brontosaurus and baby talk was released ahead of time of the album and released uh, originally through sub pop which i'm surprised that they didn't sign with sub pop instead of red ant because you know sub pop was trendy at the time I mean, there is getting a little, you know, a couple years past, you know, Nirvana was dead. But, you know, Sub Pop was kind of the rage in the 90s. And uh, I, I think that would have done better if it was on Sub Pop. But the first song, Baby Talk, I love it. It's classic fucking uh, cheap trick. And it's a hard rocker. 
It's, uh, you know, nothing sounds like it's trying to get on radio. It just sounds like Cheap Trick being Cheap Trick. And I think this would have fit perfect on the album, and I'm a little sad that it's not on there. What do you think, Robert? Uh, I love it. I think it's a great tune. Um, Tom's 12-string bass is really uh, up front in the mix. You can just hear it wonderfully. Um, I, I I remember at the time thinking it was pretty cool that they were doing a single on Sub Pop, and I and I thought that that would lead to the next album being on Sub Pop. Uh, I I don't know enough about what happened or why it was just such a. Maybe they thought they were getting a better deal with Red Ant, and uh, so they went with them. And next thing you know, uh, they go belly up and the record's dead. Um, but it's also you know there's also a promo CD single for Baby No More, and. Uh, that's, that's got Brontosaurus on it. Like I said earlier, the Japanese CD of the self-titled album does have these two bonus tracks after uh, it all comes back to you. So uh, if, if there's ever two Cheap Trick songs that I think more fans need to hear, I would hate the idea that there's Cheap Trick fans out there who've never heard Baby Talk. Uh, just, like I say, terrific 12-string bass. The backing vocals to me sound like uh, Highway to Hell era ACDC, you know? Like I can picture like Angus and Malcolm chanting that talk, talk, baby talk line. Uh, great tune, really, really needs to be heard. I'd love to hear it live. Well, uh, I'm the minority here. <laughs> I'm not a fan of this song. Uh, sorry. Uh, for some reason, I don't know, it just doesn't grab me. If it was added on the album, it'd definitely be my least favorite. Now, is it a horrible song? No, I wouldn't. I won't go as far as that. But I feel like every song that we've heard on this album is better than baby talk and and i kind of like when i heard it i was like okay i understand why they're saying on the album but uh yeah you you, uh brought up something ian i I was not aware of that this song was out before this album i had no idea yeah i had no idea it's kind of half-ass considered the the first single so so baby Uh, talk uh what 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 other songs were on there before this album on the baby talk single well, the baby talks. Sing, uh, I believe it was this in Brontosaurus, right? Is, is is what they released on Sub Pop. Yeah, so it was a one. It was a one-off release, a seven-inch vinyl single of Baby Talk and Brontosaurus on Sub Pop, and then produced by Steve Albini. Right. And then they did the sessions for this album. Uh, uh, they're close. They're close together. They're not actually. These songs aren't actually from the '97 sessions, um, but it, it's very close. It's all. It's from all around the same area. And Brontosaurus was during that same session, correct? Right. Yep. All right. Uh, Brontosaurus. I'll take that one. I, I like this one much more. Uh, but it, you know, it is a cover, and I'll never forget the first time hearing. I'm like, oh shit, California man, because I never heard the Moves version of. Uh, Brontosaurus or California Man back then. Uh, I think it's a good song. You know, it's a little droning, but I dig it. But I gotta admit, I'm not the biggest fan of Steve Albini. Um, I, I wasn't a, I, you know, I loved Nevermind. I loved Insecticide, but In Utero didn't hit me well. I did not like the In Color uh, re-recording, though I gotta be honest, like the other day, you know, I always have my iPod shuffle and that's in there and uh, Clock Strikes 10 come on, came on and wow, I really like the, the version of Clock Strikes 10 on the Steve Albini version, but uh, well, there you go. That's what I thought of Brontosaurus. What do you think, um, Robert? 
Well, see, uh, it's a good thing that you touched on that in color re-recording because that's actually where Baby Talk and Brontosaurus come from. Ah, uh, oh, so that, it, those, so that was recorded those, before this album, the in color version. Yeah, the, so those sessions were all done at the same time that they did. I mean, I I believe the the project was to do the single, and then it was just while they were doing the single that they had the idea of redoing in color. So they did. It was only after that that they hooked up with Ian Taylor to do the 97. So really, Baby Talk and Brontosaurus could almost be bonus tracks on the 97 in color, if they ever actually right. released it. Let me ask you a question uh, but, about that in color. Um, was it ever, because when I listen to it, it doesn't really sound like it's finished. Like maybe it needed mix and mastering. Is that, is, am I right on that? Was that like a, a raw, I know it's, not officially released but it got released through the you know underground uh is it uh, an unfinished uh, product they, they've always they used to talk that's another thing that used to be in the cheap trick newsletters that bun was going to do something with that or, or they're going to release some of the tunes as bonus tracks but they definitely wanted to go back and uh, do some further mixing on it that's what they used to say anyway but it did the tracks did need a little bit more work to them and then for whatever reason, you know, they lost interest and uh, now it's just something that fans can, you know, listen to online. But uh, I think it, it would have been kind of a cool thing to put out. Uh, 2017 was also the 40th anniversary of the In Color album. So I thought that was perfect timing. They could have done a two CD deluxe edition and finally put out the uh, LB session. Um, but that didn't happen either. One thing I do really like about the Albini session is you get to hear those songs with a 12-string bass. Uh, the original album, of course, doesn't have that instrument because it didn't exist at that time. So, uh, but you know, the Albini versions, it's just kind of like how they would play those songs live. You know, so yeah, they're a little heavier because they're heavier live. Yeah, I guess it's because I'm just so attached to the Tom Warman version. It was my first Cheap Trick album that uh, I, I love this. I know the band doesn't, but I love the slick production. The you know, it's like night and day from the first album. You know, and uh, yeah. I don't know. I have a very fond, you know, attachment uh, in color. That when I heard this version, I was like, oh, it sounds. Uh, but also, it was the sound of it, kind of like doesn't sound complete to me. You know, but it was mixed and mastered, right, Robert? I mean, that's the only version that's out there, right? Uh, like the bootleg. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they never they never actually kind of finished it. There's one song from it uh, ended up on the rock band video game. But the rest of it, you know, they, they talked about going in and doing some work on it, and I don't think they ever actually uh, went back to it. Yeah, that... DJ Cramp hates it, by the way. Oh, really? If you, if you talk to DJ B... Cramp, <laughs> he hates it. I, I'm I sorry, I, I missed that. Who hates it? DJ Cramp. DJ. Uh, rock and or yeah, roll. From the, from the, yeah, from the cheap rock. Uh, yeah, rock yeah. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's been on our show. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm just kidding, BJ. We love BJ. Yeah, we, a, no, great he's guy. A, he's a good guy. Yeah, it just I would, and I was very intrigued because I did hear rumblings of a re-record of In Color, and I knew the band was unhappy with it. So I was like, oh, I'd like to see what they did to it. But yeah, it gave me the same effect of. Still hungry, not as see, bad, but I, yeah. I, see, I've, I've still never heard that. I've never heard the Steve Albany version of uh, I'll send it to you, uh, okay? Cool. Yeah, I own it, it's a bootleg, I can't get in trouble. 
Um, okay. So, uh, Ian, I know in one, of the, in one of the newsletters, Bun said that he he was thinking about putting it out as just like a limited edition, like fan club release, kind of like the Bunny bootlegs. Um, so they, there was definitely talk about doing something with it, either B sides or or a, a limited edition fan club release. So at one point they wanted to do something with it, and that for whatever reason they changed their mind. Wow. Uh, Ian, what, what do you what did you think of Brontosaurus? Well, I love Brontosaurus, but I gotta be, uh, you know, hundred percent honest. If I didn't know that, you know, that was their like retooling, you know, they kind of retooled and made California Man, I wouldn't have heard it, you know. But now, you know, that I knew what I listened to, I was like, okay, they sped this way up and they did that. Uh, but I really dug the song, but it gave me a whole new respect for California Man. Like, okay, they heard this, and this is what they did with it. I think that's awesome. Uh, but but I love the version of Brontosaurus. I don't know the original, uh, but I but I dig it, man. I, I love it, and uh, I wish more people could buy this. You know, I wish there'd be something like go on Amazon now and get this. It's so it's and, so clever how they put and, that riff. A brontosaurus in the middle of California, man. It fits so well. And, uh, you, you know, uh, maybe somebody will go and buy this on, you know, digital download. And I was really disappointed this year. Well, I mean, it turns out to be, uh, you know, faithful that I was totally broke on fucking record store day because I was hoping that uh, the archives volume two was going to come out on vinyl uh, because that was the one last year. Uh, Ralph, you couldn't find. I told you I was going to send you mine if you couldn't get it, but luckily you found it. Yeah. But then I came and found out during research that they've already released Volume 2 and 3 as a digital download. They just haven't been released on any other kind of format. Robert, is it is it going to be released? Do you know anything about this? What, Volume 2? And 3. Uh, it's like Ian said, yeah. I didn't even know it was digitally released. Right, well, Volume 2 is going to come out in like three weeks on CD, but there's no announce of a, uh, a vinyl version. Wow. But they've, they've, yeah, rele- they've already released online. You can get Volume 2 and 3. And it's amazing. They actually came out a few years ago. They're not, they're not really new. Right. Yeah, I didn't know that, though. I just found that out this week. Yeah, this shit's been out for like three two or three years on iTunes. Wow. Only all, all, only on right. digital download, huh? Yeah, yes. Oh, but, I, I'm not a fan they, of that. I, I like hard right. copies. But, but volume when they, two. When they put out... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, uh, like I already said, volume two is going to be released on CD in either late May or early June. Okay. But but nothing about vinyl. But the, but I, I saw the track listing and I was like, oh, yes, give me that. You know? Yeah, I, you know, I haven't compared the track listing yet. I hope that they do something different because for Volume 1, they did add one song that was not on the digital download. Oh, that I, that I didn't notice. That I didn't notice. Yeah, and I, I, I have it on vinyl. Both route, Do you have it on vinyl, uh, the Archives Volume 1? Uh, I just have the CD. What what was the song that was added on the vinyl? Poser. <laughs> <laughs> What was the song, Robert? Uh, I, I, okay, I, you're Canadian. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, what was the song, Robert? Uh, the added song. 
There's a live version of Lookout from uh, Osaka, Japan, uh, from when they did the Budokan album. And it was only ever released on a promotional single to promote the complete Budokan, that uh, two CD set that oh, came out. I love it. So, so when that came out, there was like a five song CD sampler, and uh, it, had the, it had this version from Osaka of Lookout. It was the only place you could ever get that song. And because uh, it's, not, it's not from Budokan. So they added that to the CD and the vinyl version of the archives, uh, Volume 1. So that was great because that was kind of a, I mean, I had it on the sampler, but I know a lot of fans didn't know about it, but it was a unique version, not the same as Budokan Tokyo recording. So I'm hoping with these other volumes that they also, uh, you know, change up a little bit for people who did buy the uh, digital downloads. Um, but, you know, I think it's important to notice, too, that like a lot of the tracks uh, on volume one are things that were bonus tracks on the right, Sony right. remasters. Um, right. There's nothing that repeats from the Sex America Cheap Trick box set. Right, but, but I, believe, uh, I believe I believe volume two is like 80 through 83, and then volume three is like, you know, like 84 through 89 or some shit. It's something right. like that. I, I, I'm just happy to have, you know, Taxman, the demo, which I've always loved on vinyl. Oh, love it. Yeah, that demo is amazing. Uh, yeah. That's great. All right. So that is the end of our review. Now, uh, give us the 411 on this album, Ian, and then uh, Robert will tell you how to get his amazing book. Awesome. Well, this album was released on Red Ant Records slash Alliance April 29th, 1997. And it peaked at 99 on the U.S. Top 200, and it was there for a total of two weeks. Uh, it was released to rave reviews, but to little fanfare because there was no exposure to this. And, you know, hardcore Cheap Trick fans always talk about this album, but outside of the hardcore uh not a lot of people know about this, and it's a damn shame. So, uh, Robert, give us the information how to get your book, Still Competition, The Listener's Guide to Cheap Trick. No, I'm not I'm not done talking about this album yet. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, 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 he's got better facts than me. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I'm so hey, used to... Show me up, you fucking Canuck. I'm, uh, I'm so used to Ian being, like, you know, the sponge. <laughs> yeah, that's just, I just sponge the fame. I have no I have no facts. All right, Robert, tell us what Wikipedia doesn't know. <laughs> well, I, you know, one of the things, if you guys listen back to this episode, I was kind of making a few notes here. And, you know, one thing that kept coming up is like, well, it's not my favorite song, but it's still a great song. Or, you know, it, it, it's not the first song I'll listen to, but I'll listen to it. You know, and I think the overall impression of the album is that the songwriting is so strong. There's not a lot of filler. They uh, they really brought their A game, and the reason for that, I believe, is... <laughs> you're Canadian. Get it? A game. Eh? I'm um, sorry, brother. <laughs> I'm sorry. Take off, you um, You know, they recorded so many songs. That they really worked hard on this album. It wasn't something that they just threw together and there's a lot of songs that didn't make it to this album that they're still mining for future uh, records so for example on for the during the sessions for this album they recorded a song called low life and high heels and they also recorded a song called my obsession 
uh, both of those turned up on special one in 2003. They recorded Come On, Come On, Come On and Dream the Night Away. Both of those then they re-recorded for Rockford in 2006. Uh, they had a song for this album called Rosie and they re-recorded that for Bang Zoom Crazy Hello. And they also had a song called Radio Lover and that's on their most recent album, We're All Alright. So there's just so many songs from this period that not only did they pick the best songs to be on 97, the songs that didn't make it to that album, they, they've continually been appearing on future albums. So they really had a strong, strong selection of material to draw from. And uh, that doesn't happen too often, I think, anymore. Like, like for, for most bands, to have that much quality material, it's just a, it's a fantastic place of strength to put a record together. Because all those other songs, like uh, Rosie, while they call it Roll Me Now on Bang Zoom, that's like one of my favorite songs on Bang Zoom. And that was a song not good enough to be on 97. So really strong songwriting. That's amazing. I was not aware of that. And it just seems like, well, maybe it's because, you know, they were away from the record company pressure that I guess they felt a little more a lot more freedom to release a great album like this. You know, can you imagine if this was released on like a Warner Brothers or Epic album? Well, I think it would have done much better. Th that's another thing I I'd like to ask you, Robert. You may or may not know this. Uh, I was on always under the assumption that they were dropped uh, by Warner Brothers because of the low sales for uh, Woke Up With A Monster. Uh, but then I also read that they left Warner Brothers. Do you know the details of that? Uh, no, they were dropped. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, no. Well, I heard, but I've I've heard of bands like uh, you know saying, you know, and maybe this is the safe face that they left a major label because they felt they weren't given the proper attention where a minor label would make it more of a priority. But okay, they were dropped. Okay. All right, and and I gotta before you sell your book. Uh, and, and, and I do encourage everybody, I mean, if you've heard this episode, this guy knows his shit about Cheap Trick, and if you love it, check this out. Uh, I do have some Cheap Trick questions for you as, as, as a knowledgeable person. Um, what, what's the deal with the bunny situation? It, will, will, that, will we ever see bunny again, or is that like, that's just dead and gone? Yikes. Uh... Well, I don't know. I mean, they, they, you know, they played together at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They, they seemed uh, very cordial with each other. But uh, Dax has been there for a while now. I think the, a lot of the fans like what Dax does. I'm sure uh, right. Rick likes what Dax does. You know, I like the idea that my favorite band, that they're all friends and they all get along and they hang out on weekends and, you know, watch baseball and drink beer together. And that's not reality. So... Uh, I don't know if they can go back to where where they were. You know, there were uh, there had been talk of Bun having some back issues for a while, so they weren't playing longer sets. Um, there's a there's just a lot of history there. There's a lot of water under the bridge, and uh, I think it's possible in the future that uh, maybe Bun could show up for a special show here or there. But uh, in terms of rejoining the band. I, I really don't think that's going to happen. Okay, well, I've, I've heard different things. Like, initially, I heard that, you know, Xander was the one who was really 
done with bun. You know, part of the bun. Hey, Shit, but all right. Wow, all right. Uh, but uh, but then you know around around the Hall of Fame induction. I saw Rick Nielsen talk a lot of shit about Bun 2. I mean, is this something where, like, uh, is, like, all the band against Bun, or is it one or two members that you think, like, really have a problem with them? Well, there's um, there, there's a neat interview with Bun. I think he did it with Rolling Stone online, and he, he said one of the things about Cheap Trick is who, whoever's not in the room, that's who you, like, rag on the most. So if Bun's not around... They'll all kind of jump on. I think even Tom said something recently in an interview uh, that was kind of anti-bun, and that kind of oh, rubbed wow. me the wrong way. Because uh, again, I like you know I want them all to be friends. I, I, I want everybody to be friends. You know, uh, that's the kind of person I am, and I, it's naive, right. I know, but I'm all right. I'm no, I'm the same it. way. I'm the same. And okay. I and I understand, and Robert probably clarify this. You know, he just like bunch just does not want to tour anymore. But he's still very much part of the partnership of Cheap Trick. He's still financially uh, making money as much as the rest of the guys do. Am I correct on that? Well, I don't know what the percentages are exactly, but you're, but you're right. He's still he's still a member of Cheap Trick Incorporated in the same way that I think anytime uh, Pink Floyd puts out a record, Roger Waters still gets a little piece of that. Um, those are the kind of business things that happen behind uh, the curtains that most right. rock fans know very little about. But um, but yeah, that's he's, he's still a member. I don't know if they really bring him in uh, on projects too much. Although he did uh, the liner notes to the archive series. Wow! Uh, nice. He was interviewed. Nice. He was interviewed by uh, Ken Sharp, who of course is a, a great rock writer and a huge cheap uh, trick fan. Uh, can interviewed Bun extensively, and uh, those are the like the track by track notation in the Epic Archives. Uh, you know, Bun's the only one who, who they actually talked yeah. about that stuff because he's the only guy who knows all that kind of stuff. He is the band uh, historian. And what a lot of people don't know is Ken Sharp is really Ken Mills. That's just his <laughs> stage name. Uh, the Podfather himself. All right, uh, a, a couple other questions I got for you, brother. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 50. Oh, you're 50. And when when did you first get into Cheap Trick? Listen to oh, the beer vault. He talks about it. No, go ahead, Robert. <laughs> it's a good story, actually. It's really good. No, I'm going to listen and, to and, that. And, 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 this, came out a couple days and ago. this is juicy for you kiss nerds. Here's a kiss exclusive. Tell them, Robert. Yeah, well, I was, a, I was a big kiss fan when I was a kid. And uh, they were coming to town, so I had to go see them. And my dad took uh, my sister and myself uh, to see Kiss. And Cheap Trick were the opening act. I didn't know anything about Cheap Trick. I'd never heard of them before. But um, I, uh, I was a fan immediately. And so that was the 1977 Love Gun Tour. Which uh-huh. means that Cheap, Cheap Trick only had one album out at that time. They were, they were about halfway done recording in color, but it wasn't out yet. So they, uh, they were on this uh, KISS Love Gun tour. I believe they did 28 dates on that tour, 14 in Canada and 14 in the States, ending with the uh, double uh, Alive 2 album. It was recorded in L.A. Cheap Trick were the opening acts on uh, those three shows in L.A. Nice, nice. Okay, and one last question before we get to your book. 
What would be your and and I, I'm gonna post uh, put this question out to everybody. What would be your top two favorite cheap trick albums? And I'm I'm gonna go to you first, Robert. Uh, the debut record for me is always in there. Everybody asks me this, uh, what my favorite cheap trick album is. Always gonna be the debut. It's uh, such a unique record. It's so fresh sounding. It's rock. It's pop, but it's got punk elements. It's got hard rock elements. Uh, I absolutely love that record. I really think even Tony doesn't think that they like Cheap Trick, you need to have the 1977 debut in your collection if you have a decent uh, music collection. Um, to cover more of as much material as I guess I can, I would probably go with the complete Budokan, that two CD set that came Oh, out. that's a great, great set. Yeah, nice. that really shows both. You know, the, the original Budokan just kind of shows their pop kind of feel, which is right. fine. But the complete Budokan, that's just loaded with so many songs. I think goes oh, on okay. forever. And uh, you just get all kinds of great material. But, uh, you know, I, as I said before, I really like the, the album we've been talking about tonight, the Cheap Trick 97. Uh, I like Rockford a lot. Uh, I like Bang Doom. They've, they've got a lot of records for people who kind of think that they're just a one-hit wonder or they're just a 70s band or any of that kind of nonsense. Uh, they've, they've got lots of great records. I, I got to listen to Rockford again because that one, I listened to it once and it didn't grab me and I never revisited it. I mean, I still have, you know, my physical copy. I need to check it out. I, I do as well. Because um, when I listen to Rockford, it's kind of like, wow, it's got great pop sensibility elements, but it just didn't grab me. But that's probably why I don't revisit it that much. So Because mm. I was the same way with the latest as well. Well, that one I, I loved right off the bat. I love that okay. one. I, 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 need, I need to check it out. Okay, what one. would be your, you know your top two? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Robert. Well, you know what? This is something that seems to come up a lot, is that you, you get a room of, of hardcore Cheap Trick fans together, and they all have different favorite albums. Like, I'm seeing this more and more as I do more interviews for this book, where we all love Cheap Trick, we love everything that they've done, we support them, we go to see them live. And your favorite album would be different than mine, and it's different than Ralph's, and it's different from Ken Mills and from BJ, and, and we all have have our own favorite periods. And that just shows, really, to me, I think the Mark a great, great band. Right, like but nobody, nobody says the Doctor. We can all agree <laughs> on that. Nobody says no. the Doctor. Uh, oh. Ralph, what would be your two favorite teacher albums? Uh, my favorite of all time is the Doctor, no doubt. <laughs> no, actually, actually, you know, it fluctuates, um, and I was definitely—I mean, for the longest time, I would say the first album, definitely. And I, and I, in a way, I still think it is. But as I speak now, the two I listen to the most that I have such love for is uh, Heaven Tonight and Dream Police. Those two. But you know, there was a time that all shook up was my favorite. So I, I, I fluctuate yeah, a lot. Too. Yeah, it, there you go. Uh, I fluctuate a lot of uh, which ones are my favorite, and it could change in the future. But as of now, I would have to say um, Heaven Tonight. Well, let's see. Which I would say Dream Police is my favorite, then Heaven Tonight uh, is my second favorite. But that could change. And I want to touch upon Budokan, uh, what you're talking about. And you and Ian are right on that same page, man. That, and believe me, I, I I was so happy to finally get it on vinyl on Record Store Day, and I got the box set with the whole thing. But there's just so, something so special 
about the original one that, you know, the more popular songs that, I, I don't know, I'm just so attached to the original Budokan that I kind of look at the complete Budokan as like, uh, wow, cool, I got the whole thing, but I don't know, there's something about the original Budokan. I guess it's because my brother's, my, my friend's big brother owned it as an import back, you know, before it was domestically released in the States, and, you know, I remember seeing a little book in it, it was like, and I remember him having it tape it for me, believe it or not, on 8-track. Yes, there were 8-track recorders back then. And uh, he made me an 8-track recording of Budokan. And I would listen to that constantly before it was actually released here. So I have a very fond, you know, so if I had to pick, I would have to go with the edited version. But don't get me wrong, I mean, especially that one box that brings the DVD of the show. Oh, my See, God. See, that I need. I don't, I don't have That has need, all three that. different shows. There's different shows that. on there, and uh, not all are from Budokan, by the way. Even Budokan has recordings from, what was it, Osaka, Robert? Yeah, Osaka was, was the other one that was professionally uh, recorded. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, it's not completely uh, Cheap Trick at Budokan, but um, but still, it's it's very, it's, it's just so amazing. And yes, I do listen to the complete version quite a bit. Don't get me wrong, but there's just some something so special well, about the original. I think what it was is is back in the day, I had a you know I borrowed a copy of Budokan from a friend, uh, and I listened to his, and and I liked it at the time, but I wasn't like a full fledged uh, fan. But when when the complete concert came out. That I mean, that just sealed the deal, and it was done. So now it's like I fell in love with all the tracks that were on that. So now when I listen to the original Budokan, I'm just like, yeah, but I want to hear that, or I want to hear that, you know. And it, it seems empty, but I get. It. I mean, if you grew up in that era, I, I totally understand that. Yeah, at but that it, era, at that era, at Budokan was that oh, yeah. was the biggest oh, thing yeah. since transistors. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, if if I fucking you know, if I was older, you know, it, it's we've talked about this. Whatever you fall in love with first usually becomes your favorite. Um, and also, if, if you I, know, I also want to add that when Budokan blew up, I was so proud because that was my band when you know they weren't big yet. You know, you know that feeling right. when you love oh, a yeah. band and then oh, they, yeah. you know, that happened to me with like Def Leppard and stuff like that. I liked all these bands before they were big. Then they become huge and you're so proud, you know? And I think that that's another big element why at Budokan is so special to me. Right. It, it, when I got into my top two, it, it's weird because it, it depends on the day of the week. Uh, but it, it universally goes back and forth between In Color and Dream Police. And the, the funny thing is, I love every fucking song on Dream Police. Every fucking song, I think, is a solid 10. Uh, on In Color, it, it, it's the version of I Want You to Want Me that I find disturbing. But the best of the best on In Color sometimes outshines Dream Police in my eyes. So I kind of go back and forth. I always bitch about that version of I Want You to Want Me, but oh my God, oh Caroline. Big Eyes oh. is one of my favorite Cheap Trick songs. Big eyes, drowned. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, to me, in drowned. Color, or, I'm sorry, down. Uh, I, I'm drowned in beer right now. <laughs> um, but uh, 
oh my god, it just, it, it's so, so fucking good. Uh, and I, I do, I just love this band, and I would love to find out even more about this shit. The shit I'm not going to find out on Wikipedia. And, and Robert, tell me how I can get your book and how much maple syrup I have to pay you, uh, you know, and, and Moosehead beer uh, to get this thing. How, how can our listeners get your book? Uh, it's real easy. It's on all uh, international Amazon sites. Uh, you can get it in uh, paperback or hardcover. So Amazon.com has it for you guys down south, Amazon.ca in Canada. But also, if anyone happens to hear this in Germany, France, uh, people have bought it in Japan from their local uh, Amazon uh, website. Uh, very easy to get. If you don't like ordering online, Barnes & Nobles in the States and Indigo Books in Canada will order it in for you. It is part of their database, but uh, then they have to make a bit of a cut. So uh, it would cost you a little bit more to do it that way. Wow, look at you, fancy pants. You get this shit everywhere. Good for you, dude. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to order me. Is, is there a way that I can order a copy from you uh, where you sign it to, like, my 54th favorite podcaster? You know? And, uh, yeah, we, 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 we can definitely do that. I've, I've done that for a few people. Unfortunately, the shipping from Canada to the States is, is a little pricey. Right, so, but you're, uh, you're, you're in Toronto, right? Yeah. Okay, go to fucking Detroit and put it in the mailbox. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'll pay the money. I'll pay the money to have you sign it. You know he'll get and, mugged before he ever gets to that mailbox. <laughs> it's Detroit. And, and, you, and you got such a sexy voice. I want the audio version too. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Any crimes on that? Uh, uh, that would be awesome. Man, I'd be a first-day buyer if you put it out in an audiobook. Yeah, or maybe oh, maybe, maybe you could get like you know, uh, uh, get you, get, you know, get, I, get Kim Mills to read it. Kim Mills to read. He could do a good job of it. Yeah. No doubt about it. Uh, those uh, his sultry tones would fit this. Oh, of course. Yeah, he's got a very sexy voice like that. Yeah, but you know, Kim Mills and Cheap Trick. He's gonna have to stop every chapter to finish off. <laughs> uh, you know. I, I'm thinking maybe we could get Patrick Stewart. I don't know. Maybe that's asking too much. Uh, but no, I encourage all our listeners to get this. I am definitely going to order this, brother. And uh, and you know, I'll talk to you offline. I, I would love to have it personalized. And uh, and and very very proud to have you on the show. I can't wait. Yes, I will listen uh, to this other podcast. I guess I've heard of Vieira Vault. Yeah. Uh, to, to hear you on that. Uh, but but I, I I really want to thank you, brother man. You, you've shed shed a lot of light on this album. Oh yeah. And uh, and we're always happy to talk about Cheap Trick and to have somebody that's uh, as passionate about it as you, man. That's awesome. And I I'd also love to check out your Nazareth book too because that's a band uh, I I love a lot of, but I don't know a whole lot of. But uh, I you know I I have a radio show as well, and I do this thing where people can request a band or an artist, but not the song. And a guy requested Nazareth, and I was like, man, you know, I'm not going to play fucking Hair of the Dog or Love Hurts. So I just picked a random song off an album that I thought had a great fucking album cover. And it was killer. So I was like, you know what? I need to check out Nazareth more. Yeah. So I would also love to check that book out as well. 
Well, anyone who's interested in my books, they can uh, definitely look me up on Facebook, just under Robert Lawson. Uh, there's also information on my website, which is thissideofthetracks.ca. Um, so it's very easy to get a hold of me through any of these uh, social media platforms. I'm on Twitter as well. Um, so anyone who wants to talk talk music, talk cheap trick, or get a signed uh, copy of either book or both, uh, we can definitely hook you up with that. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Uh, Robert, like in future, you know, because the way we do podcasts, if we cover a band, we're not going to do that same band for a while. But when we do do another Cheap Trick show, would you be interested in joining us again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, another thing we do here, and I don't know if Ralph told you about this, so you might be on the spot, but we do a, uh, a pick of the week. Oh yeah! And, oh yeah! And, I should have told Robert about this. And 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 and, and this is up to you. It, it can be a cheap trick album, or it doesn't have to be a cheap trick album, but just something that uh, an album that you love, that you believe in, that you think more people should check out. And uh, you know, if if you, if you want, we can go first to give you time to think, or if you know something off the sure. top. Uh, why don't you guys? Go first, and I'll see what I can come up with. All right, all right. Uh, Ralph, you got one, or you want me to No, go no, first? you go first. Okay, well, uh, my pick of the week this week is something that I I, I think feels, you know, goes in great with Cheap Trick. Uh, this artist is very much of the power pop vein, and, and the... Uh, what's the fucking word I'm looking for? I, I'm not an author like Robert. Uh, resurgence. I should say, a power pop in the 90s. And I'm talking about Matthew Sweet, uh, who I think is an amazing artist. And he put out a great album in, I believe it was 1993. Uh, Girlfriend is a, is a great album, a great album of power pop. And Ralph, I don't know if you're a fan of, of his or not, but I mean, if you like shit like Letters to Cleo and shit like that... Uh, I, I just think he's a great singer-songwriter and very much in the vein of Cheap Trick and, and just killer uh, pop rock without being, you know, limp-wristed. Well, that's uh, interesting. I have heard the artist's name, but I don't think I've ever heard any of his music. Oh, oh, God. Uh, you, you need to check out this album, Girlfriend. Uh, I, I think you would really, really like it. Uh, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I really think you would dig it. Uh, I, I would recommend after we're done recording, go on YouTube and just type in Matthew Sweet Girlfriend. Listen, to, I mean, that was the title track and the single, and uh, I, I think you would like it. Are you familiar with Matthew Sweet, uh, Robert? Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he's done a lot of recordings in the last few years with Susanna Hoffs from the Bengals. Oh, yeah. He's ass. Ooh, is she hot. Wow. Oh, those, fuck, those fucking eyes. In oh. my room. Wow, that video. Yeah. In my room, in my spank bank. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that is my pick of the week, Matthew Sweet Girlfriend. How about you, Ralph? All right, I got one. Uh, since uh, we do have Robert uh, on the show, I looked into, uh, opened up my iTunes and looked through my Nazareth discography, what I have of Nazareth. And uh, this one's not very talked about, um, but it's an album they, they released in 76 uh, called Close Enough for Rock and Roll. And, uh, oh, why are you laughing, Robert? You don't like this one? One of my, it's one of my personal favorites. Oh, there you go. Oh, Woo. nice. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love this. You know, it's funny, Robert, because I found this on vinyl, like, maybe three, four years ago for, like, a dollar. 
And I was like, ah, it's Nazareth, you know? I love Nazareth, so let me check this out. out. I was completely blown away. Because I own um, uh, Expect No Mercy, of course, uh, Hair of the Dog, Malice in Wonderland, and No Mean City. I own those, and not bad albums. They're good, but this one really grabbed me more than, well, maybe Hair of the Dog, you know, grabbed me a lot. Because that, that was my first one as a kid, you know, with uh, Don't Judas Me and Miss... Uh, mistreated and stuff like that, but um, <clears throat> yeah, Telegram, you know the the four part song and uh, Homesick again. I loved Carry Out Feelings. I think it's a really really great album, and uh, that is definitely my pick of the week. Uh, too close, uh, close enough for rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. The the only frustrating thing with that album is that Telegram, at least the first three parts of the four part tune, like you mentioned. That's the only thing they've ever played off that record. They never play any of those songs in concert. They've never played a single one except for Telegram. And I don't know why, because that, uh, that record definitely holds a special place in my heart. Like you said, it's not quite as well known as Hair of the Dog and Expect No Mercy and some of those really big records. But something about uh, Close Enough for Rock and Roll, that's a real favorite of mine. And, and uh, that's wild. You mean even, even in 76, they didn't play more than Telegram? Correct. Wow, that's pretty mind blowing. Wow, that's crazy. But so, have you found a pick of the week yet, Rob? I do have one. I'm gonna I'm gonna dig a little deep here. And this, uh, when uh, Ian mentioned Matthew Sweet, uh, I don't know if you can find this. This is an independent Canadian band. It's an album from just a couple years ago, but it's definitely in the kind of power pop vein, uh, very similar to Rock Pile and kind of early Nick Lowe, early Elvis Costello, uh, but the group is called Clockwise, and the album is called This Is Now and Then, and it's just a nice, tidy little power pop kind of record, fits in well with like the second Cheap Trick album or Matthew Sweet or any of that stuff. Um, if you if you want to play any of it, I can probably send you some files or, or something, but they're just uh, some local kind of Toronto guys. Uh, I've never actually seen them live. I don't know if they play live too often, but uh, it's a great, great record and one that uh, I think people who listen to Cheap Trick and appreciate Cheap Trick will uh, will definitely enjoy. Awesome, awesome. Nice, so, nice, yeah, I'd love to hear that. So uh, tell us, who, who who's this mystery person? I have no idea who he is, uh, fa- <laughs> fan of the week. Okay, well, fan of the week this week is Tim Bream. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Tim Bream came on board probably about a year ago, and he's a friend of a friend of mine in real life. And, uh, R- Ralph has had kind of the outs with this guy. He does, he's still on the page. He contributes a lot, and he has paid for three episodes. Uh, for us to pick, he's. He, I thought he was gonna guess, but no. He's like, no. Me and Ralph don't get along. That would be awkward. I just. I, I picked three albums I would love for you guys to talk about. This is the first one. Uh, well, you I, know, I, I, I gotta be honest. I, I think I would get along great with Tim Bream if he didn't hate me so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tim, Tim Bream is known to be passive aggressive. Very much on, so, on, and I've had enough. On, 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 on Facebook, and as we all know, sometimes you know people don't come along uh, or come you know come off as their best on Facebook. 
uh, you know, some stuff is definitely known, or, you know, sounds better when you're talking than it does when it's in written text, but it, that's not to be said, whatever, if he pissed you off, he pissed you off, you don't like him, you don't like him, uh, you know, but thank you, Tim, for listening, thank you, Tim, for contributing, uh, not once, but thrice, and you picked an album, You at least you had the good taste to pick an album that we've been wanting to do forever. I was and, lying. This album sucks. <laughs> and, 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 brother, we're glad you're still around. I'm glad you still contribute. And uh, as much as you pissed Ralph off, hey, you're still on the page, so that's Yeah, something. you know, that does say something, you know. I haven't deleted him from the page, so. I just yeah. blocked him so I don't have to see his stuff anymore. <laughs> right, right. So so take that as a backhanded compliment. That says something yeah. about me, don't it, yeah, Ian? Like, yeah. you know, I mean. It does. I, it does. I, I, I don't. I don't block people because you know they hate me. I keep them there. What the, whatever. Yeah, that's Andrew Jacobs shit. Yeah, uh, him you're not, you're not you're, you're not going to get a fruitcake for Christmas, but Ralph thinks you're a fruitcake. So there's that. Um, but, but thank you, brother. You are the fan of the week. You contribute a lot. That's awesome. And thank you for contributing to this. You know the the Rock and Pod Expo two. Uh, which is going to be amazing. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, so many awesome guests announced already. Uh, there's a major, major guest that probably by the next episode uh, will be released. That is going to change the fucking game. But uh, let's not take it a, 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 you know, the star away from the real star here, who's Robert Lawson. Well, before we thank- go into Robert, just one thing I want to say Tim, to Tim Brady. Okay. Uh, okay. Ian says thank you, and I say... Uh, the same thing, but without the thank. Just fill in the blank there. <laughs> you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, w- once again, just because everybody loves to hear it, let's talk about Andrew Jacobs' Lesbo wife. <laughs> Cute Melissa Etheridge. All right. Uh, so again, thank you, Robert, so much. I hope this is the first of many appearances you do on our show. Uh Man, you brought a lot to this episode, and we appreciate it, brother. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome. All right, cool, man. So, uh, Ian, let's get into the plugs. Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpillar.com to find out what we're all about. Listen to The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Go to all the W's. Gully, G-U-L-L-Y-A-N-D-J-O-A dot U-K. 8 p.m. U.K. time, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Listen to it. Don't be a cunt. Hey, rock music fans. This is Terrence Reardon of the Terrence Reardon and Friends Audiovisual Podcast. Join yours truly as I look every week at a different classic rock or metal album that had a major impact on my life. And I'm usually joined by a friend or two or ten. And we talk about nothing but great classic rock and metal. And there's no country or Sammy Hagar or rap on the fucking show. That shit is frowned upon with yours truly. So if you want a great classic rock audiovisual podcast, tune on in to the Terrence Reardon and Friends audiovisual podcast. New episodes every Monday exclusively on YouTube. Are you ready for the hottest new podcast out there? Check out the Vieira Vault, featuring none other than Dr. Fuck Ralph Vieira. You will hear personal stories and personal songs from the vault. There ain't nothing else like it. 
the one, the only, the original Viera Vault on Podbean, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. Spreaker. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Tired of your long commute and boring workday? Well, join Brian Davis and his gang of movie buffs as they talk about a different movie subject every week on Damn Good Movie Memories. We discuss movie themes like our favorite movie villains, favorite soundtracks, and worst movie remakes, and much more. Check us out on iTunes and Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. From New York. Hey, 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 hey! What up, bangers? From North Carolina! Skitter Pal Meow Meow. This is Bushy. And the Mountain. Tune in every week for your listening pleasure only on the plug with Bushy and the Mountain Man. You can find us on Podbean and iTunes. Thank you very much! Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast. And if you love this... Then you'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at DecibelGeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. This is Ian Wadley, Wadzilla from Wadzilla's World. Do you want to hear the greatest, most eclectic show on the internet? Show up for the best in hard rock, heavy metal, classic rock, funk, soul, and anything else I deem necessary. Wadzilla World, only on Cranium Radio, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time to 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Be here or be a bitch. Welcome to the best fucking show you'll ever hear in your life. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, The Dr. Fuck Show. Yes, tune in here at that metal station for The Dr. Fuck Show. I've been doing this show right here for years. And the chat room's always packed. The jams are always playing. And yeah, you may get a rant. Every freaking week from me. Fuck, not freaking. I don't want to say freaking. I mean fucking. So join me and my lunatics that are let out of the asylum here on that metal station. 8 p.m. Eastern time. Thursday nights. Join me. Let's lose our fucking minds. All right, well, if you listen to this episode, it's either because you love Cheap Trick or we lied about the title and said it was about Kiss. <laughs> Come back next week. Will we have a fucking guest? I don't know, but he won't be as fucking smart as Robert Lawson. This guy can write a fucking book. Yeah, the next, the next, the next guest we have doesn't even read. <laughs> yeah, no, not Andrew Jacobs. It'll be another idiot. But that's next week here at the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. 